Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Making Connections. As we come to a close with National Indigenous History Month, we have a special episode where we reconvened and reunited with some of the young ambassadors who've come on some trips with us. And we have an honorary guest of Andrew Kastashian who shares a wonderful story with us. We also have Paulo with us. Paulo, how are you? I'm doing fine, Dan. I'm really excited for this one. It's, it's a special reunion. Uh, for 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 us, I, we, I personally miss some of this the, some of these people that went up to Arapiscar with us. And uh, like you said, Andrew's concession is a great addition to this show because he has amazing insights, and we're we're all going to learn a lot from from him. Isn't he amazing? You just gravitate to him, and just you know, we've heard his story so many times, but yet every time he shares it, I just seem to get more and more in depth with it. Yeah, you know, I feel sorry for people who haven't had a chance to actually be with him face to face. While it's great to listen to him and, and hear uh, virtually, when you are with him and you feel the energy, it's really special. I know you and I had had that opportunity numerous times, and you know he's is such a, such an inspiration, and uh, he, and he knows it. I mean, he sees the world in a way that we don't see, right? I mean, he has a different you know way of life. He lives in a different place. He's more grounded than we are, less distracted. So, you know, it's really inspiring to, to have that perspective. You know, having Andrew was a real honor and to have him share his story with, with all the listeners and, you know, to have him share the story with some of our students that have been with us in the past, it's, it's going to be special for them to hear it. And it's obviously special for our listeners. So we're really happy to share this one with you guys. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. Andrew Kastashian looks like he joined us. Good to see you. Hi Andrew, nice, nice, nice that you 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 joined us. That's very nice of you. I know that you have a you, you you told me yesterday you have a busy day today, but you made I you do. made you made the time. So that's very nice of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh man, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, we miss we miss you all. We we miss going up there. To be honest with you, and uh, oh jeez. Yeah, it's it's been it's been rough, right, with this pandemic. It, yeah, yeah, it's been holding us off at home. So. What can you do rather than stay safe? That's the main thing. And, uh, you know, I talk to elders about this. You know, what does this mean, this COVID, you know? And there's a lot of teachings that comes with it. You know, what I'm hearing from elders is it's teaching us to, uh, first of all, like, you know, to put uh, everything, life as being precious, right? And life is everything, you know, what's around you. And, uh, you know, you put... Your creator, God, first, and then you have your family. So I think this is co what COVID is teaching us to to realize: like we have, we have our creator and our family with us, and it's really like teaching us to, to you know, to realize what, what's what's valuable, what's precious, right? So that's what I'm hearing from elders. It's funny you you speak about you know some of the, the, the importance in, in life, some of the things that maybe we've taken for granted. And I'll tell you, that's one thing that, you know, it definitely brings family closer together when you're kind of stuck in these tight quarters with them. And you know what, sometimes you realize that that's the most important thing. And if, if you have those strong connections next to you, it's, it's really, really precious. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think it, that definitely COVID has definitely put a few things in perspective for a lot of people. And I would imagine it did for, for, for you guys as well. I know you guys are already in a very remote community and, and getting in and out of your your area is difficult, but you know, even being more stranded as far as 
uh, let's call it more remote by being in you know lockdown it's it just definitely puts things in perspective as far as family right and uh you know how are you guys dealing with this pandemic the first uh i you know noticed that we like you know this is in uh last uh just after christmas last year when it hit uh when it hit our area and uh uh Right away, they formed uh, a pandemic uh, committee, and I was part of that. Uh, I was part of that uh, that group, and because I, I sit on council as well, so we uh, we had sat in with a couple elders as well with our group, and uh, and everything is new, like COVID. Nobody knows about this virus, so we're all just putting our heads together. Uh, priority being uh, the safety of uh, our community so we sat down and we start going through all different uh different like you know uh protocols that we're supposed to uh you know uh trying to come up with different plans and everything and uh we knew we're isolated enough that but eventually we knew it was going to come here so we uh we had made plans like how we're going to deal with people who who will get the virus like how are we going to isolate them and and this is before you know this is before the vaccine so we we were thinking of uh, even like we're so uh, remote up here we have uh, within 10 minutes drive uh, we had 10 minute drive and I, t- I took you guys there 10 minute drive out towards our uh, bay bay area so we go out and it's all it's all trees out there, so we thought about setting up camps over there, but that didn't that didn't materialize. But anyway, fast forward to now, uh, we've had cases in the community. Kashashuan, uh, uh, which is maybe ninety kilometers south of us, the other community was hit hard last week. The last two weeks, they've been hit hard. They had like over two hundred cases in a population of maybe 1,500, 1,600 people. Out of Wapiscot, our numbers went as high as 20, close to 30, 27, I think was the highest. Now it's gone down. Now we, we got the vaccine and people have learned to isolate. People has learned to, uh, to stay home and uh, social distance from each other. Uh, we've we've brought the numbers down, and so as well as our neighbors in Kasachuan, their numbers has gone down below uh, 200 now. They were up to 226 at one point, uh, but we're still very vigilant. We're still, you know, being careful. You know, we uh, we're all still on lockdown. Uh, council uh, declared a state of emergency a couple of weeks ago when our numbers were going up. That de- declaration hasn't hasn't been lifted yet, so we're still on a, a, a lockdown until uh, the whole region in our area, James Bay area, is uh, down. Like, have no more cases. It's scary uh, being like you know so isolated. We don't have we don't really have a hospital, even though there's a hospital here. It's not like the hospital you, you have. Uh, uh, down south where you have access to doctors and, you know, uh, specialists like that. 
And out of Mopiscat, we don't have that. So this is where it gets ta- challenging and worrisome as, as well, too, because we don't know how things are going to go from one day to the next. I know, and I have to be frank, I have to be honest, uh, we're in a pandemic, within a pandemic. Uh, we have our our uh, drug issue, our opioid uh, opioid drug issue with uh, with our uh, with our members, uh, especially the younger people. And so we've had that uh, that crisis uh, even before COVID uh, uh, reached our community. And Paul Paolo, you and I has uh, talked about this uh, when you, when you came up, and the same with the, you know with all your group there. I was very uh, very honest about that and. Uh, and that's one of the challenges uh, being uh, in a small community is, and it's just—it's not just Atawapiskat; it's the other communities. It's everywhere. It's sad, and it's—you uh, know—it affects everybody. And uh, so, trying to work with our situation with the new crisis or the new pandemic that came in, it was—it was—it was tough. You are a um, you know a source of inspiration to us. <laughs> you have so many amazing insights. You know you see the world in the, in a way that that it really inspires us. And we've told you that many many times. And so we'd like to have thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for for being that inspiration. And so we'd like to ask you about um, you know your perspective on two things. It's a question with two parts, if you don't mind me asking. One is. You know, you know, we we try to go up there to Arwapiskat to you know to build connections and to kind of bring you know youth closer together. So I'd like to ask you, you know, what do you think the role of non-indigenous people people is, uh, you know, in in the process of reconciliation? Um, and the second question is, and it's tied to that, do you think that um, what the findings in Kamloops, in Kamloops is going to set us back in terms of like the relationship between indigenous and non-indigenous? Is that going to break the trust in some way? In some way, you know, I, I spoke about our community situation with our uh, with our community uh, problems with drugs, and uh, and uh, and I always felt like you know, uh, with our we try to target the young people because they're the future of our of our of our community, and if we can reach to those uh, young people. And have other young people come up from from down south. They can see if they interact with the other young people down south. They can share their their uh, their challenges, their struggles, and that's one of the like you know the the beauty of having young people like that you brought you grouped up here uh, is to actually see firsthand like how. Like you know, these kids up here are the same as like the kids down south. They have their ambitions, they have their dreams. They, you know, the only difference is like you know they live here in a, in a small remote community. That's the only difference, and they have their dreams that they want to become hockey players. They want to become. Now that you brought the uh, the, the soccer program, you know, a lot of them dream of like you know. I know they watch the. Uh, well, over there now, they uh, they call it football, right? In Europe, but uh, I, I see some of these kids, and I see like uh, I, wa- I watch it on TV, and uh, you know, and that's one 
one of the inspirations you brought into our community is uh, the football, like the, the soccer program. And uh, But it's more, what you brought is more than that. It's, uh, it's friendship. It's the lasting friendships that you created up here. I know there's uh, the, the, the young, like, you know, my, my son's friends, they're, they're like teenagers and some of them are older now. And uh, I see them, like, you know, uh, from day to day, like uh, around the community. And uh, they're really, you were, used the word inspired. It comes both ways. Like you've inspired these young people to, uh, to, you know, to make a life, a better life for themselves. And, uh, and that's one of the nice things uh, having your soccer program uh, come into our community. They can see that there's other things out there, you know, that you can do. And having young people... Uh, they can interact so well, eh? Young people are so good and communicating with each other because they have so many uh, similarities that they in not only music or you know uh, other sports and stuff like that. They, they have so many connections together. As with the uh, the uh, the recent uh, discovery of the uh, unmarked graves. Uh, that happened for a reason, I think. That happened for a reason. Because a lot of people felt in 2008 when former prime minister, uh, you know, made that uh, apology to the residential, to the residential school survivors. Uh, Stephen Harper is uh, the, the prime minister I was referred in 2008. When he made that uh, public apology at the uh, House of Commons, uh, a lot of people, a lot of survivors, the residential school survivors, felt it didn't like it wasn't real because, uh, well, first of all, he was reading it off on the paper. He was reading the apology. It was written down. If you, if I did something to you, I would just come to you. I wouldn't have to read it off to you and say. Paulo, I apologize for doing things to you so many years ago and um, on behalf of my, you know, no, I would come to you and I would just look at you in the eyes. I would say what I feel inside. That's what a real apology is. Like when you feel it and you don't, you don't read it. So a lot of, I heard that from a lot of survivors. I'm not a, I'm not a residential school survivor myself, but my mother was. And uh, and uh, he passed away in 2016, the fall of 2016. And she spoke a little bit about uh, her experience, but a lot of it she kept in. And there's a re there was a reason for that. So, but I work with two two of the uh, residential school survivors who went to a uh, residential school in Fort Albany, the the infamous. Uh, residential school in Fort Albany, St. Anne's, St. Anne's Residential School. So now having to show Canada the proof that yes, they were, there was genocide done to our people. Yes, there was assimilation. And I, I use the word uh, ugly things done to little children. It was recent, I think the last residential school that was closed was in 1996, I forget where, but 1996 was the last residential school 
I was close to in Canada. That's not that far away. You know, that's uh, when you do the math, that's like not even 30 years ago. Half these uh, unmarked graves like being discovered. It's not only in BC now. It's in Saskatchewan. It's in Manitoba. And there'll be more. There'll be more. And hopefully one day everybody will understand what happened here. You know, we we know about what happened to uh, the Jews in, uh, in the Great Wars. Well, it's very similar with our original people here and the, uh, the history of Canada. It's very similar. The genocide, uh, the killings of, you know, the First Nation people of this land. But I'm going to, I'm going to share something with you. I want to share with you. I'm going to say something nice. I'm going to say something nice in my own original language. I'll do that. And I'll explain to you what it means after. So, hey, I greet you all today. This is, this is my language, my native language. And I just want to show you that uh, I didn't lose it. I lost a little bit of it, but I just want to share. And, and listen to how beautiful it is, my language. Hey? What I said is I greet you all today, the recognition of the National Indigenous Day. That's what I said. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it is as heartfelt to you as it is to us. And, you know, this story... Today, this call comes on National Indigenous Peoples Day, so we found it nice that Andrew could take the time to join us on such a special day, and he honored us with his presence. It's always important to get Indigenous perspective, and Andrew Kustachin is um, qualified not only because he's Indigenous, but because he's heavily involved in the community. He's an advocate for the community of Arawapiskat and, and the Indigenous community of Canada. He's a member of council in Arawapiskat. He's the recreational director in Arawapiskat, and he's the father of Sharon Kustachin, a Canadian hero who fought for um, the uh, the right for equality of education in Arawapiskat by convincing the government to um, enact the uh, a bill called um, Sharon's Dream. And it's because of her that Arawapiskat has a new elementary school today. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you all next week.